This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about real-world leadership solutions. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember that every follower needs a healthy leader. My passion is to help leaders lead more effectively. Welcome to today's show. You're listening to episode number two. Today our topic is vision and leadership, why I need it and how to find it. At the end of the show today, I'm going to give you six actionable tips for finding the right vision for your business or your ministry. What we want to cover in today's show are several topics. Why is vision so important? What is it exactly? Why does it keep changing? Great examples of visionaries, both in the past and present, that I really respect and admire. And then, as I promised, six tips on getting vision. So let's begin with the topic of why is vision so important? You know, the Bible says in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision, the people perish. There's another translation that I think is pretty interesting. It's the Holman version that says, without revelation, people run wild. But one who listens to instruction will be happy. That's kind of an interesting take on Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, but it's true where there is no vision, people wander aimlessly. You see, we leaders make things happen. We take people to places they will not go on their own. And that's what vision is all about. I mean, think about it. The history of the planet and the great things that have been accomplished is because people, men and women, got a vision. And we'll talk later in the show about where do those visions come from. But People get vision, they catch a vision, and they inspire people to follow them to accomplish that vision. In my book, The Top Ten Leadership Commandments, on page 52, I talk about the importance of having a compelling vision and mission statement. And I do think it's important that this be written down, whether you have a small operation or a big operation or a small church or small ministry or a, whatever you're doing. If you're a group of people and you're going together toward a future, you need to write down your vision and mission. Now, there is a lot of complication about the difference between vision statements and mission statements. And sometimes people flip those around and, you know, ultimately it doesn't even matter. You can choose whatever you want. And uh, I like to say vision statements are the answer to this question. What do I see as our preferable future. If I was going to paint a picture of what I would like us to, where I would like us to be in five years or 10 years from now, what would that picture look like? So you see, it is visually a vision. What do we see as our preferable future? Now, a mission statement to me is what uniquely defines us. You know, what is special about us that is going to get us to that preferable future. Vision and mission statements, as I say on page 52 of Top 10 Leadership Commandments, they are like glue. They help leaders hold an organization together. They are like a magnet. They attract newcomers as members, employees, customers, donors. Uh, they pull people to your group, to your organization, to your tribe, to your clan. A vision and mission statements are like a yardstick. 
They allow a leader to measure how his or her group is progressing. How are we doing at accomplishing that which we say we want to accomplish? And the final way uh, I like about vision and mission statements, they are like a laser. They point us to our destination in the future. I want to tell you a story about my father, Alfred Finzel, who worked for a brilliant rocket scientist called named Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun and my father worked together in Germany during World War II, and they developed the uh, V-1 and the V-2 rockets. And they actually developed the first intercontinental ballistic missiles that could take a warhead and shoot it to another country across uh, the pond, across water, across great distances. And it's interesting, all these years later today, this continues to be one of the great threats to mankind. But Dr. Von Braun always had a scientific space exploration interest. That was his vision. Warfare was never his vision. Well, as the war wound down and the Germans lost, the the Americans, the British, the French, and the Russians all wanted to get this great missile technology. And uh, Dr. Von Braun said to his colleagues, let's go get captured by the Americans so we can go to America and build rockets. And that's exactly what happened. There are so many great books about this story. But what I want to tell you is about the vision of Werner Von Braun. They did come to America. And I've posted on my uh, episode notes uh, that you can see on my blog on leadershipanswerman.com, the picture of the Saturn V rocket, and also a picture of my father and Werner von Braun together. My father in this picture was being given a a commendation for his performance during the Apollo program, but they developed the Mercury, Gemini, and finally the Apollo program, and in 1969, this group of scientists, of course, there were a lot of uh, American scientists and German scientists all working together on the Apollo program, but they put a man on the moon. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Apollo program followed the vision of this one man, Werner von Braun, the power of his vision. You see, when he was just a high schooler in Germany growing up, he always was obsessed about space exploration and he wrote a paper on how to put a man on the moon and would you believe all those years later in the early 1960s he became friends with president john f kennedy and this was after the bay of pigs where kennedy had been humiliated and he was looking for a new vision for america A lot of people were casting visions and possibilities, and Kennedy became friends with Von Braun. I remember when uh, John F. Kennedy came to my hometown, Huntsville, Alabama, on several occasions. They became friends. Von Braun was a very uh, charismatic individual, and Von Braun basically told Kennedy, if you give us some money, we can put the man on the moon by 1970. And you know what? Kennedy said, let's do it. And anybody who was around in the 1960s or you've read all the history books, that was an exciting time in America's history where we did uh, race with Russia to be the first to put a man on the moon. And we won that race. Here's the teaching point about that story. Von Braun had the vision. And when America decided they were going to go into space and put a man on the moon, they followed the basic 
format and vision and plan that Von Braun had first come up with when he was in high school. So, hey, never underestimate those papers that your kids are writing in their high school classes. There are some profound things going on, even in in young people, before they even go to college. So that's a great story of vision. The great vision was to put a man on the moon, and it was inspired by this man, Von Braun, to put a man on the moon. I'm very proud of my father and the colleagues and the great uh, U.S. space industry and and what they were able to accomplish. My dad died uh, when I was just a young man. He's been gone for 30 years, and I respect him, and I respect what they did so much. Here was a group of visionaries who changed the world, did an amazing thing. Well, let's talk about the future, because vision is about the future, and leadership is about the future. You know, sometimes I think as a leader, my job is like I'm driving this little car on a country road and I'm trying to discern uh, what is around the next curve, what is just over the horizon. You see, leaders get paid for the future. We have to anticipate the future. We have to try to understand what is out there. It could be the greatest opportunity ever to come along, or it could be a huge threat. We're not sure, but either way, leadership is about the future. What I fear about the future is becoming irrelevant. And becoming irrelevant is a greater risk than becoming inefficient. Let me think about that for a minute. My greatest fear for your organization, your church, your ministry, your business, is that you become irrelevant. And I'm going to talk in just a moment about a great illustration of irrelevancy. Sometimes we can be very efficient at doing things that are irrelevant. I have in my basement at my home uh, some relics, some technological relics from the past. I actually have the very first brick cell phone. If any of you remember the Motorola brick, it was the first phone you could actually plug into your cigarette lighter in your car and use while you roamed around in your car. I I keep it just for sentimental value, and every once in a while I pull it out just and I I look at it, and I I just kind of laugh at how far technology has come. I also have in my basement an IBM Selectric typewriter. Any of you ever heard of that? It's blue. Uh, it's an electric typewriter, and it has this cool ball with letters on it that rotated around and actually put letters on the paper. And one of the most amazing parts of this electric typewriter is that it had a correction tape. You could backspace and there was this little uh elect this little uh, correction tape that had some adhesive on it and you could lift off the mistake and put the correct letter in its place the ibm selectric typewriter and my wife donna uh, when we were in graduate school together she was uh, admissions secretary at our school and she was an absolute wizard and whiz on the ibm selectric typewriter hardly anyone could type faster than donna on this amazing typewriter now guess what if i take this typewriter and plug it in in my basement today it works That's the amazing teaching point. It actually works. The problem is it's obsolete. How many things are you doing that work just a little bit but are obsolete? 
And some of our greatest barriers to vision and going into the future and taking the journey of change uh, so we can make an impact is we hold on to things that no longer work. And then we do, oh my gosh, sometimes we do the most horrible thing. We say, let's go back to the good old days. Let's do things the way we used to do them so we can again have the success we used to have in the past. Well, guess what? You can't go back to the past. You can't go back to the good old days. Things that worked back then don't work today. On my uh, podcast notes, I also have a chart of decades, and I I mentioned the fact that the, if you can imagine the world of 2013 and how different it is from the world of 1993, 20 years ago, and then if you happen to be old enough, if you could remember the world of 1973, 40 years ago, just think about the music, the culture, the reality, the context in which we all lived. Vision has to change because the world that we deal with is always changing. And what worked back then probably will what will not work today. And so our past successes can be our greatest roadblocks to future effectiveness for this very reason that things that used to work back there don't work today. And that's where vision comes in. It is with vision that we figure out where do we need to go and how are we going to get there and what are we going to change to get there. Now, I don't know what your vision need is. Maybe you need an, a comprehensive vision for your entire organization, your ministry, your church, your business. Uh, is your vision related to staff, the leadership team, your board of directors, your structure, uh, moving beyond a tradition that is holding you back, uh, facilities, policies, programs, priorities, procedures, direction, strategy, I don't know what your specific vision need is, but I can tell you the answer to a lot of problems will be the right vision for the future. Where there is no vision, the people fight with each other. Have you ever heard the saying, if we're all busy rowing, we don't rock the boat? I find that in the absence of great dreams, pettiness prevails. And the greatest cure for Pettiness and backbiting and staff uh, fighting with each other is a compelling vision that is everybody is sharing together. Let's talk about some great visionary entrepreneurs uh, in the past and in the present. And then I'm going to give you some tips on how to get that vision. Uh, I want to uh, use some illustrations of some faith entrepreneurs and then some mainstream entrepreneurs that are not necessarily known of people because of their faith. Have you ever heard of Francis Schaeffer? When I was coming of age as a believer, he was an amazing visionary. Francis Schaeffer, Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM. Uh, YWAM is a uh, youth with a mission is 50 years old. It's, it's, uh, one of the fastest growing movements for young people today to try to make a difference in the world. Our daughter, uh, is a member of YWAM and I've been so inspired by this man's leadership who founded YWAM over 50 years ago. Uh, Lauren Cunningham today is 75 years old and he has not run out of vision. It is so compelling compelling to hear him and uh, what he has to offer and, and and his dreams. And it's amazing to me how uh, young people follow and listen to his dreams. Henrietta Mears was a great 
teacher, uh, a Bible teacher way back, and uh, she's been gone for a long time, but she impacted so many people. Bill Hybels, the founding pastor of Willow Creek Church, I happen to think he's an amazing, visionary Christian entrepreneur, and I respect uh, how he has changed uh, so much of the Christian culture uh, in America, and what I think is, is a good way. Uh, you may not agree, but uh, I, I happen to think he's awesome. Now, let's talk about some mainstream visionaries just to illustrate the fact. Uh, Howard Hughes, an amazing pioneer in aviation. Steve Jobs, who single-handedly changed six industries, including computers, music, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, he changed it. Oprah, what a what a pioneer Oprah has been in television pioneering and, uh, wow, changed daytime television. Uh, Martin Luther King changed America with his vision for a better America. Who can forget that great speech he gave in Washington? I have a dream. You see, that's vision. Howard Schultz, one of my, uh, I'm a huge fan of Howard Schultz. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Starbucks or not, but I, I happen to, to like uh, Starbucks coffee. I like the fact that Howard Schultz brought great coffee to America because I'm a coffee drinker because I'm German. We Germans love our coffee. My wife says if, I, if you cut me, I would bleed black. I love coffee so much, uh, probably too much. But I come from uh, my parents, you know, I'm first generation America. My father and mother came from Germany, what used to be East Germany. And uh, my father came from Saxony, the state of Saxony. And he was actually, they're called Kaffee Saxon, which means of all the Germans, the Saxons love coffee the most. So you just have to know that I came by it uh, through my bloodline, my love for coffee. Now, see, Howard Schultz had a vision to change coffee drinking in America. If you, uh, if you read the book, Pour Your Heart Into It, it tells the story of the founding of Starbucks. And he went to Italy and was fascinated by the Italian coffee shops. Not only the great coffee, but the third place, the place where they could go and sit and just be together. It was an experience beyond just drinking coffee. Well, he came back to America and he had this great vision. And one thing about visionaries, you will be opposed. You will be re, uh, resisted. You will be misunderstood. And I'll have a whole podcast on that topic another time. He came back to America and people just laughed at his vision. And they said, nobody will spend more than a dollar for a cup of coffee. People were in love with gas station coffee and office pot coffee, but he changed America's coffee habits, and it was because he had a vision, and he would not let go of the vision. Here's a very important point. Everybody will try to steal your vision. They will try to rob you of your vision. And the people that do great things on this planet and make a difference refuse to let go of those visions. Another one is... Um, well, I already mentioned uh, Werner von Braun, the great space pioneer. Here's a couple of great definitions of vision. One from Bill Hybels. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in people. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in people. 
I like that a lot because that's exactly my point. Vision has to produce passion. I have often said that if you light yourself on fire, people will come to watch you burn. And great visionaries have great passion about their vision. Andy Stanley's written this great book called Visioneering. I'll talk about it at the end of the show. But again, let me read his definition. Vision is a clear picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. And you see, again, there is that passion. And I respect Andy's passionate leader. Here's another great quote by Leroy Imes, who wrote a book a long time ago, but one of my leadership favorites. It's called Be the Leader You Are Meant to Be. And Leroy Imes says a leader is one who sees more than others do, who sees farther than others see, and who sees before others do. Let me read that one more time. A leader is one who sees more than others see, who sees farther than others see, and who sees before others do. I can just imagine you standing on the top of a mountain and looking way out into the distance. That's leadership. And let me say one more time that people fight vision and people fight leadership. Mike Rowe, you know the guy from Dirty Jobs, Mike Rowe, he's also been promoting Ford a lot lately. He says corporate cultures tend to step over good ideas if they don't come through the proper channels. If you're not at the top, one of the struggles is to see how can I get my vision through the organization if I'm not in charge of the organization. And when I get to my tips on how to find vision and get vision, I'll talk about leadership teams. And what I would suggest you do is share it in a respectful manner with your boss or the people above you and say, you know, uh, could I help? create our vision. My son, Andrew, is working for a company uh, for two very strong-headed entrepreneurs, and I respect the guys that he works for. And Andrew's been in a journey to try to, it's a small startup company, and what he wants to do is to have a piece of the action of creating the vision for the future. And through a journey of respect conversation with the his superiors he's been able to bleed his vision toward them so they can begin to pick up pieces of that vision again Mike Rose says corporate cultures tend to step over good ideas if they don't come through the proper channels which means they often kill great ideas in my leadership, I have uh, gone on a long journey of creating vision and then trying to take the large organization that I led along in that journey. And, and that's, the, you know, the more people you have in your organization or your church or your business, uh, the harder it is to pull them all along and the more you have to capture their, uh, the clarity of vision. And, the, and when people all own the same vision, then you can move forward. One thing that I set out to do in my organization was to change the corporate culture so that we could actually go after a fresh new vision. So let me ask you the question, how do you change a corporate culture? It took me 20 years in my journey to try to change the culture, and I did change a lot of it. And the, I'll tell you, the one key to changing culture is to change the players and to change the leadership team. 
I inherited an organization that was 50 years old when I began. And I like to say any 50-year-old has issues, whether it's a person or a church or a business or a company or an organization. If you've been around 50 years, you got a lot of traditions that are like anchors holding you down. When I took over, we were all white, we were all male, we a lot of aging and just uh, very formal coat and tie. Uh, that's kind of what was handed to me when I began. And I was a turnaround leader in my leadership journey over the last 20 years. And I'm proud to say when I finished up and, and stepped aside and turned it over to the younger generation, we had women in leadership, we had people of various uh, diversities in leadership, and we we have a very colorful team, a lot of young people in leadership, and, and that, was, that changes the entire culture if you can change some of the key players. So if you were to ask me, how do I change the culture? Change the players, especially the leaders. Let me finish up the show today with a couple of great vision quotes, one from uh, Steve Jobs, and I highly recommend his book, uh, that came out right after he died. It's a fantastic book. I think it's called Steve Jobs. Our job is to read things that are not yet on the page. I'm sad that Steve Jobs died because I wondered what is the next product that he would have created for me that I just had to buy. It's amazing how he changed the world. He was not an easy person to work for. And if you read the book, you see that. But a lot of visionaries are that way. They're not that easy to work for because they tend to be obsessed. They tend to be so driven that sometimes they, they can walk right over people. He said, our job is to read things that are not yet on the page. That's vision. Henry Ford, a great visionary. He said, if I had to ask my customers what they wanted, they would have told me I want a faster horse. <laughs> okay, let me finish up with the six tips for finding the right vision for your business or ministry or company or organization. Six tips. These are things you can do to find vision if you don't have it or if you need to refresh your vision. Number one, brainstorm as a team. I'm a huge believer in the power of team vision. Go on a vision retreat. Get your team together and brainstorm. In the presence of many counselors, there's wisdom. And I happen to think the most powerful vision and dreams are inspired by a strong leadership team forging it together. You know what? It's a lot easier to forge a vision all by yourself. But there is power in brainstorming as a team. So number one, brainstorm as a team on what would be that preferable future five or ten years out. Probably ten years is too much. Nowadays, uh, the world is changing so dramatically, we would need to say five years out. Number two, if you're faith-based, pray about it. I think that's important if you're a faith-based ministry to ask God to give you clarity of vision. Number three, get around people that can help you with vision. I'm working with a fellow right here in Colorado who has a, a ministry, and he's trying to create a, a compelling new vision for his future. A vision is contagious. And he's asked to get just to get around me because he wants me to help him forge a stronger vision. Get around people that can help you with your vision. Number four, read books that will inspire you in your field. 
read people that are doing what you want to do. Now, maybe that seems obvious, but I find uh, books and podcasts will inspire you uh, in your field. Now, number five, read some great books on vision, and I'm going to recommend three here in just a moment, but read books on vision. If you say, okay, I need to get more vision, I need to hone our vision, we really need to have a vision retreat. Read some good books on vision. And finally, go to some conferences that will inspire you. I highly recommend the Willow Creek Leadership Summit that happens every summer, uh, early August, the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. The books I recommend today for the show, I'm going to give you three, Visionary Leadership by Bert Nannis. That's uh, John Wiley and Sons. Uh, the Power of Vision by George Barna. Uh, the first book, Visionary Leadership, is a secular book. The second one is a faith-based book, The Power of Vision by George Barna. That's Regal Books. And then the third book I already mentioned, Visioneering by Andy Stanley, and that's uh, Multnomah Press. Let me finish up today with a leadership quote of the day. Again, a leader is one who sees more than others see, who sees farther than others see, and who sees before others do. Leroy Imes from Be the Leader You Are Meant to Be. Hey, thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed episode number two. And uh, write me with ideas or questions at leadershipanswerman.com. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. Please send me your leadership questions that I can answer on a future podcast. And I would love to have you sign up for my email updates at leadershipanswerman.com. Remember that every follower needs a healthy leader. Keep listening and learning and go out there and make a difference with your leadership. 